We're reading from Genesis 23. We're going to read the whole chapter tonight. Um, and we're just going to look at two main points. Uh, I'm going to be as brief as I can. The Word of God says this, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kiriath, Arab, uh, Ar- Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to, uh, into mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the uh, Hittites, I'm a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for, for a burying place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and, and bowed to the Hittites, uh, the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me uh, Ephron, the son of Zohor, uh, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, uh, which he owns. It is at the end of this field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the uh, Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite uh, answered Abraham in in the hearing of the Hittites, uh, of all who went in at the gate of his city. No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron, In the hearing of your people of the land, but if you hear me, I give the price of the field, accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out uh, for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, uh, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, uh, which was in the east of Mamre, the field with with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites uh, before all who went in the gate of the city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for the burying place by the Hittites. And we'll leave it there. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you, O God, at this moment, Lord, that we get to reflect upon this um, unusual portion of Scripture, Lord God, something that uh, that stands out, Lord God. It's uh, something that is not so common, Lord, but Father, we trust that you have something here to say to us, Lord God. And so, Father, I just pray that uh, as we reflect upon this, as we meditate upon this, um, I pray that you will speak to us, um, that you would give us clarity, Lord God, that we may have a, 
a closer encounter of who you are, Lord God, and how you work, Lord God, and how, Father God, we ought to live our lives, Father God, um, in, in, a, in similar fashion to Abraham, Lord God. So, Father, we just pray, Lord God, that you would be glorified, that you would be um, praised, Lord God, through this, Lord, that you would receive the glory. Father, may I decrease and may you increase in this, uh, in this evening, Father God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right. Um, so, yeah, we're continuing on and we're wrapping up things now with the story of Abraham. It has been somewhat of an epic journey to say the least, as we've been reflecting upon the life of Abraham, uh, Abraham's truly served as a as an indicator, as a as a model of what um, we as Christians, as all Christians, um, uh, go through. He, his life really depicts for us the journey that we go through in life. Um, he's the archetype of what ought to be the life of all believers. You know, he's journeying from one place. Um, abandoning his his past and, and marching towards this promised land, this promised hope, and in between that journey, there's these setbacks, these ups and these downs, these moments of triumph um, that that really kind of marks the the life of Abraham. You know, he truly epitomizes what what the apostles would later refer to as this perseverance. You know, the perseverance of the saints. Um, the, the fact that we just persevere, we constantly march forward despite whatever it is that we encounter, despite whatever it is that we go through, we, we march forward. And it's because of this hope that we have, that we've received as believers, as Christians, as, as fellow uh, sons and daughters of the Most High God. And this is what faith really is. We see this depicted for us in Abraham, that he really looks to God. And as we've been reflecting, as we just recap. That Abraham truly had faith in his God, in who he was. You know, it, it wasn't um, just saying those words, I believe that God's going to do this, with really the intention really is because we really desire to have this outcome. Right? You know what I mean? Like, usually when we exercise faith, so-called faith, in God, it's really because we really want that outcome to happen. I want God to do this for me, and I'm placing my faith in God, but really what you're, you, all you're doing is just wishful thinking. You, I want this to happen, but that's not the case with Abraham. Abraham genuinely believed God, and whatever God had said, he was going to stand firm, and whatever he had promised him, he is going to um, essentially lead all his actions from that promise that he had received. Whatever God had told him, that is where he was going to lead towards. All, all his actions, all his uh, steps will be leading towards that promise, disregarding whatever circumstances may be surrounding him, whatever obstacles he may face. And so wonderful to see that. And that's really what faith is. It's, it's, it's not, not, not the believing of, of, of wishing something would happen. But it's, it's not just having positive thoughts about something. It's, it's not merely just a change of attitude or a pers perspective. It's, it's, yes, those elements are found within faith. But it's beyond that. Our understanding of faith ought to be as Scripture defines it. it, it it's a gift as we see it in Ephesians. It is a gift that God gives us he gives us faith and that faith equips us it comes packaged within itself the tools that are necessary for you to to drive forward to to desire or to persevere uh, towards that what god has promised you 
no matter what, whatever it may come. And that's essentially what we see here uh, lying ahead in the story that we've just read in the, in the story of, of Abraham. And this is what faith is. This is what it is. You know, faith is, is being given the ability to essentially to see, uh, as we know, to see beyond what lies uh, in front of us. To see clearly, it's the removal of a veil that maybe held you back from seeing what true beauty is. And that's essentially what you see in Abraham's life. God gives him that, that promise and then he sees that as the ultimate, right? Because God has promised him that. He, he, it, it's, he's trusting in the nature of God. He sees what true value is. It's, it's no longer these things that we see or perceive uh, through our natural eyes. And so he marches forward and, and, and he, his whole life is driven by this promise. And so throughout the life of Abraham, this, he grows in this appetite, in this desire, in this pursuit, in this perseverance to reach for the promise, the gospel, the good news. Uh, and it is, this is essentially what characterizes all believers. You know, the difference between Abraham and, and us is really just time, um, because where it matters, we're no different. You know, Abraham looked towards the promise of the, of the Messiah. We look back and see that he has fulfilled all those promises that, that were given to Abraham and praise God for that. Um, and so it's really what we see, again, in this portion that we get to consider is, is how, how Abraham demonstrates that faith. How he demonstrates it. We won't read into, uh, into the whole chapter. We won't break it down verse by verse. Obviously, that's a lot to go through. But we'll just read two verses and two main points. Oh, sorry. To, to start off, we will read two verses. Um, and, and, and we'll just focus on two main points. So the first point will be the example of Sarah. And we're going to look at that in verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> Which is really, really interesting. The Word of God says this, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah, and Sarah died in Kiriath Ar Arba, uh, that is Hebron, uh, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. We'll just leave it there. Okay, so the first point, we'll just see the example of Sarah. Uh, this, this chapter really begins really in a sad note, obviously, you know, with the death um, of Sarah. And, and it ends with the burial of Sarah. So the chapter starts off with, with the death of Sarah and it ends with the burial of Sarah. And, it, and like I said, it's a, a real sad moment in the life of, of Abraham. Obviously, you know, he has been with her for well over 100 years. Um, to, to be with someone for over 100 years is, is just, it's, you can't even imagine it. You know, keeping in mind that generally speaking, in those times and in that place, people would generally get married a lot earlier than what we get married now usually it's in like the closer to the 30s over there it was in like closer to the teens you know so really um so it, these guys would have been like together for a, like at least 100 years she's 127 um when she passed and so they were together for 100 years and that that is alone just amazing just to think upon the relationship that they would have kind of worked together to build you know um, to spend that much time, it, it's a lot of time. And, and all throughout that, you, you really see in Genesis the way that they, they loved each other, the way that they supported each other. You know, Scripture tells us that Sarah lived 127 years of her life. That's significant, not only for its, its duration, you know, but, 
But more than that, this is um, significant because all throughout Scripture, she's the only woman who is given such details. You know, it's usually just the men, you know, that you get listed. He, he, he was born and he died at the age of uh, X amount. But this is the only time in all of Scripture that you are actually given how long she lived and, uh, and, and you know, that she died. So this tells us that she was an important person. She's indeed an important person, not just to the Jewish community, rightly so, but she's someone that we've got to look towards. You know, <clears throat> she's always been compared as such, to another woman in the New Testament, that being Mary, uh, the mother of Christ. Because just as Mary experienced this miraculous birth through Jesus, you know, she, she knew no man and yet she was with child. So did Sarah. Sarah being someone who's of an older or more mature age and barren as well. It was impossible for her to, to have a child and yet despite that she has a child. And so you see the similarities there between these two wonderful women. Um, you know, that, that the impossible was made possible through these women. You know, um, making her able to have this child. And alongside the miraculous pregnancy she had, we sometimes, unfortunately, when we think upon, upon Sarah, the, the, I think probably the most two common things that we are reminded upon Sarah, and, and, I, and I hope that by, by the end of this we, we may stop thinking upon those things. Um, the two main things that we, we tend to kind of remember about Sarah is, first of all, is probably the fact that she laughed. You know, when she overheard the promise that was given to Abraham, that she laughed and, in a mocking way. She didn't believe it. You know, uh, you know she considered her, her, her situation. She, she considered uh, the, the fact that she was old and she, she couldn't, you know, she was barren. And the fact that she was going to have a child, she found it humorous. And so she laughed. You know, at, at the very least, we see that she kind of had a sense of humor, at the very least, yeah. But, you know, and, and that's just humanly speaking. But, but, yeah, that's one of the things that we remember about her. Um, and, and, of course, that led to her, you know, if you recall, um, the other thing that, that kind of snowballed from there was, you know, because she was so doubtful of this, she, the other thing that we remember about her was that she was willingly suggested to Abraham to sleep with Hagar, you know, and to have a child. And so we remember that about her as well, that she did that. And of course, if you recall, this led to her disdain towards, towards Hagar. And, and you know, she, she clearly held Hagar initially in high regard at, at the beginning, at least, to, for her to suggest, you know, take my husband. Um, but obviously the result of that was eventually that, that respect and that admiration became, you know, a little bit of anger and, and she just, she couldn't even stand the, the sight of them anymore. Um, and so, so she tells him to, you know, tells Abraham to, to kick him out, persuades Abraham to throw him out along with Ishmael. But, you know, we are always quick to remember those things, I think, sometimes. We are always quick to remember the negative things in in people's lives, um, but we, we, we tend to forget the positive things, and, and Sarah is one of these people where she is presented to us not as someone who's evil, not as someone who's terrible, not as someone who's bad, not as someone who's known just for those things, quite the opposite, she's actually presented to us as a hero, she's actually presented to us as someone that we ought to look up towards, not down at, 
You know, it's someone that we got, we've got to look towards. She's an example. In fact, she's even listed in Hebrews 11 as one of the heroes of faith. You know, she's described to us as that, that she's one of those people that exemplified faith for us. And in thus, she is an example to us. And in fact, when Peter is writing words of encouragement for women, when he's writing his list of things that he thinks upon, when he starts thinking about, all right, when I think upon of a, of a godly woman or I think upon a, a Christian woman, these are the qualities that must be exemplified. And he starts to list these things, and I'm going to quickly run them through you. Uh, things that he thinks of, of, of a godly woman. He says, they must be submissive. They must be respectful. They must be pure. They must be modest, gentle, quiet-spirited, precious. In their actions, they must do good. They, and they must be fearless. These are the things that he says that are, must be found in a Christian woman. In a, and I emphasize that word, Christian woman. Christian or godly wife or woman. And as he lists these things, there's only one person that comes to his mind, to Peter's mind, as to who embodied all these things. You'd think it would be Peter's own mother. He's like, nah. It's, it's Sarah. When I think upon all these things about this woman, uh, the, 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 the godly woman, I think of Sarah. And I think we'd do wise to think upon Sarah as well as a, as a godly woman. And rightly so. You know, he, he, she indeed embodied or, or demonstrated uh, a Christian woman or how a Christian woman should live. Um, she exemplified that, yes, she had shortcomings. Of course, we all do. Every single person you come across in Scripture outside of Christ is obviously going to be flawed and have, mis have, have mistakes or done mistakes. You know, if Abraham was the father of faith, then without a doubt we could say, and I don't think would be wrong in saying, that she would be the mother of the faithful as well. Right? I mean, being that Peter says that if you act in, in, his, in, in his epistle, he says that if you act in the same way as Sarah, you become the daughter of Sarah. If you begin to exemplify the submissive nature, you begin to, to, to become the daughter of Sarah. And so, the, you know, we, we think upon this, we think upon Sarah and, and, and Peter thinks to himself, uh, that, that thinks of, of himself or thinks to himself about Sarah and how respectful she was, how submissive she was and how modest she was. And I mean, we know that scripture tells us that Sarah was undoubtedly a beautiful woman, even at her, her very late age. She was still being described as, as, a, as a beautiful woman. But yet, despite that, she says that, 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 that she was modest. She was a modest woman. I, I mean, you look at our society nowadays, completely opposite. Women want to show everything and, and reveal everything and draw the attention of, of men and, and try to draw the envy of other women. But, but, you know, but Sarah wasn't like that. Sarah was like, despite her beauty, she was modest. She didn't look for that. She had respect for her, her husband. You know, she was submissive to her husband, even when his dumb husband gave her dumb suggestions in not trusting in God and, and fleeing to Egypt to ex escape famine. You know, you remember that? Like, was, despite that, she was still very submissive. I'm sure women are usually like that. They're usually a little bit more switched on than men. Like, this is not a good idea, but she went along with it anyways. She was respectful to him, even when, she, uh, when he suggested 
to not call themselves married, remember? But let, let's, let's say we're sisters and brothers. You know, let, we're, we're siblings. To avoid, obviously, the high chance that Abraham would have been killed. Uh, yeah, his life was at risk. But she was submissive even in, in, the, way, in the way she addressed her, her husband. Does anyone remember how she would address her husband? Yeah, that's right. Peter reminds us that she would refer to him as my Lord. Now, how many times have you heard any wife, any wife, refer to her husband as my Lord in a non-sarcastic, but a genuine, genuinely coming from an affectionate heart, say that with the deepest sincerity to the husband, my Lord. Right? <laughs> it's, it's true you don't, you, you don't really hear that can we see now why Sarah is held in such a high regard right someone to look up to right and, you know it, 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 all the women if there were women here they'd be like oh yeah of course right <laughs> A man there, of course, a man will be preaching this. And it's easy for us to fall, like, fall into that, though, I'm sure. And, I, and I'm sure people think that way. Like, women would think that, you know, of course, this is, this is, this is written by a man, right? I mean, Peter was, was, was a man. He's writing these things. But you've got to be careful as to what you say or what you think because Peter, in that same epistle, says... That the word of God is breathed out from God in that same epistle. So what does this tell you? That this isn't Peter who is elevating Sarah up as an example, but this is God elevating Sarah up as an example. She's a model, a role model. Well, according to scripture, she could have been a model, <laughs> a supermodel. But, but no, she's a role model. She's a role model for women to, to look up to. And we're told that Sarah, like I said, exemplified a woman who was not only all these qualities that we've just listed, you know, pure, submissive, respectful, modest, gentle, quiet, spirited, precious. She did good, but also she was fearless. It tells us that she was fearless and I can kind of relate or immediately think upon this because just in terms of like my own life, um, I think upon, if I could be honest with you and pour out my heart to you genuinely and just expose myself and be vulnerable for a moment with you guys. The truth is that for me and my wife, our desire is to have a fourth child. I mean, ideally that's what we started with. That was the goal. Right, but the reason why we haven't had that is because of this fear. Uh, it, I mean, we begin to think upon the fact that we, we are now a little bit more older, a little bit and more older, <laughs> right? Uh, and you know, three kids later, and, and we, we, we're afraid about the complications that we might face with, with age, you know. And this is just with in terms of like uh, giving birth to. Uh, child during the pregnancy, let alone after when we have a child, we start thinking upon what we'll finance, uh, start thinking upon time, like management, how we're going to handle this. So clearly we have these fears. And, and, and then I think upon Sarah and, and Sarah was like a hundred years old when she, she had this kid and, and she was just like, yeah, I'm ready to have this kid. God promised me this kid. I'm going to have this, you know, like those fears that I have, I can see why Sarah is held up in such a regard because she was truly fearless. Hey, there's no food here. Let's go to Egypt. Uh, it's pretty dangerous. Let's just go anyways. Like she was fearless. She 
She's a role model. She's someone to look up to. Despite all that, she shows all these qualities. And, and so now we come to this moment in the life of Abraham. We reach another heartache in the chapter of, of, of the life of Abraham. Where essentially his princess has passed away. And remember that that's her name. That, that's what it means. Sarai, my princess. Sarah, princess. She had passed away and I believe without a doubt that Abraham knew that he was married to the woman that other women should emulate. He loved her so he, that, that even after the obvious reality of her barrenness, she wasn't able to have children. Generally at that moment when you find her, you're going to have kids, I'm bailing. You know, like I'm going to find myself someone else, right? But no, he stayed with her. He was like, all right, you know, that's fine. I love you. You know, obviously it wasn't until... Sarah suggests, go sleep with Hagar. But up until that moment, for all those years, he was with her. He loved her. That was his princess. And now she had passed away. And scripture reveals to us something about Abraham here in, in the way he would deal with the death of his precious Sarah. We are told here, and I think this is where we can kind of draw the uh, the attention back to us men in terms of the example that, that Abraham gives us in dealing with moments like this. We, we, we are told that Abraham set a time and a place to allow himself to mourn and weep for his loss. It's interesting in the sense that it seems as though he ascribed a specific time and a specific place for his mourning. What this suggests to me is that he would have therefore withheld from mourning for a time. So he would have told himself, listen, I'm not going to mourn. I'm not going to weep until I get to Hebron, until I get to Canaan. Why wouldn't he mourn before that time? I think we can speculate given the nature, um, the, the leadership nature that, 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 that Abraham exemplified throughout his journey. I imagine him knowing that he needed to be strong. He needed to be strong for, for those who were around him. The, the loss of Sarah would have affected a lot of people. None more than his son. Isaac, he has just lost his mother. He would have been 27. And so he has to be strong for his, for his son. And he, we have a man who remains strong for the sake of others. He would have been selfless in that regard, but not senseless. And I say that in the sense that a lot of the time we think as men that we got to not cry and show emotion. You know, we're going to be strong. No, yes, we, we do. We're going to be strong for those who are around us who need uh, our strength. But we too need that time to mourn. We too need that time to weep. Weep, the, weep with those who weep, right? And rejoice with those who rejoice as the Word of God tells us. Yeah. And so he sets this, this time for himself where he will weep for his his beloved princess. And if we are able to see a role model in the life and the example of Sarah, clearly we see it in Abraham in this moment too. You know, a man, we, we should be imitating him in that regards as well. But let's, let's look at the next portion and we'll just read a few verses from uh, verses 10 to 16. This interaction really is an interesting one. Verses 10 to 16, the Word of God says this, Now Ephron was sitting among the he uh, Hittites, uh, and, the Ephron and, the and Ephron the 
Hittite, uh, answered Abraham in the hearing of the uh, Hittites, I think it's pronounced, of all who went in, in, uh, in at the gate of the city. No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. And Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. And he said to where from? In the hearing of the people of the land. But if you will hear me, I give you the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, my Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron and, and Abraham weighed out. For Ephraim, the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. <clears throat> now, as I've mentioned, this chapter really begins with the death of Sarah and it ends with the burial of Sarah. But most of the chapter circles around Abraham dealing with the, the people of the land, trying to negotiate for himself or negotiate with the locals uh, a place where he can kind of uh, purchase a land to bury his, his, his deceased wife. A place where he can comfortably lay her to rest. And so there's this weird interaction, this weird exchange here that occurs here um, that seems almost unnormal and it's just weird as to why the focus would be on literally purchasing a land like why would the chapter spend most of its time on abraham cutting a deal here like it doesn't really make sense because you would think like the thing that the scriptures would want to lay emphasis on would be the morning of abraham but that's not what the focus is on it's it's on this interaction this exchange that occurs but as you pay closer attention to the interaction between Abraham and the locals, something that we must take note of is firstly, uh, is the recognition that the locals give Abraham. Like straight away in that, in that chapter, we see that Abraham was living in the land as a stranger. And despite that, you know, he was a sojourner. And yet these, these locals recognized him and, and, and loved him, respected him. They recognized Abraham as a man of faith. In fact, they refer to him as a prince of God. It's a mad title to have. Like imagine walking up to work and someone walks out, here comes the prince of God. Like that's pretty, pretty cool. But so they recognized that he was a man of God. I'm sure there's a sermon in that just there. But the locals had witnessed that the way Abraham lived his life, the way in which he blessed Abraham, they, they looked at the life of Abraham and they're like, clearly this guy is blessed by God. I mean, all they had to do was look at his son. You're a hundred and how old are you? Right? And you, you have a son? So he clearly he's blessed of God. But the interaction between Abraham and the locals is one uh, that was kind of a custom of the day. And it's generally what you see sometimes in heckling in terms of like when you go to the markets and you want to, you know, you want to get that, that, that price down and there's this back and forth that, that goes along with it. That's essentially what is happening here, but doesn't really happen in the way um, one would expect it to go down. Essentially what would happen in, in, in you know, traditional protocol would go, would be like someone would, would want the land and, and so... Uh, they, they come and they say, look, with all respect, I want to buy this off you. And, and the, the interaction really begins with essentially kind of like uh, 
that's, it's respectful. It's almost like borderline sucking up to that person. I mean, you know, you want to buy it. So, you, I mean, we've all bought cars of someone else. So we, we really want to appeal to them <laughs> and so that they could give us a good price. <clears throat> and so anyway, so it, it starts off that way where it's, it's graciously, you know, Abraham comes respectfully. He bows down and shows him respect. And the request is received by the, so graciously by the seller. And what, what would then happen is that, the you know, and Salah says in this, in this account, essentially, he says, look, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you for free. Don't worry about it. I won't charge you for it. You're mine. And this was really just to show the generosity and the hospitality um, of the person of the seller. So look how, look how kind I am. And everyone just marvels. You know, like, wow, look, he's so generous, right? Essentially, it's opening an opportunity to, for, for the buyer to, to convince the seller by flattery. That's essentially what it is, right? It generates a good feeling in the seller. And we see this type of interaction. Honestly, I see this all the time. I've been in the industry of, you know, the coffee shop, in the industry for like more than 10 years. And I see this all the time in Fairfield with you know, Middle Eastern friends and the Assyrians. Man, they fight as to who's going to pay for the coffee. We all know who's going to pay for the coffee. It's usually the person who's at the register first. Right, but there's all, and after years of experience, I've noticed this. Right, so the person that's going to pay is going to go to the register. He's there first, but then the guy that who who isn't going to pay comes from the back and he, and he fights with him. He's like, no, 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 you're not gonna pay. I'm not gonna let you pay. And he's like, no, 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 I got it. Yeah, I'll pay for it. Right, and so he pays for it anyway. So what I've realized is this is what's happening here. What essentially is happening is. Clearly, we all know the guy that is taking out the wallet is going to pay for it, right? Not the guy that is he's sitting down at the door, he's running towards. What that guy is doing, the one at the back, is trying to show and elevate the seller. Make him look generous. They love it. That's why they do it all the time. It's, it's a means of elevating the seller. Like, look how great I am. Look, I'm buying you a coffee. You know? Um, but it's, it's a way that they show respect and love and appreciation. That's essentially what is going on here. And so what we see here uh, is this interaction that goes on, right? Uh, where essentially what happens is this, we all know how, how, you know, trying to get a price down works. They say the price, oh, no, 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 it's all good. You know, like it's not going to, uh, I can't sell it to you. I'd rather give it to you. And, and Abraham generally would be like, no, what are you talking about? Are you insane? I'm not going to take something from you for free. Let me pay for it. Tell me a price and I'll give it to you. And so in a humbling way, like in a very humble, generous, wow, he, this guy's so generous that he's about to give him this, this land. He says, listen, what is 400 shekels between you and me? All right, so this is the interesting thing about that 400 shekels, okay? The 400 shekels between you and me is actually a lot of money. Because really, realistically, uh, in, in, when, when David wants to purchase land, uh, and, and I'm talking like high property, like really high demand property, he paid 50 shekels for great, great land, great real estate. He says, what's 400 shekels of silver between you and me? Right? Uh, this, this is eight times more the amount, at least eight times more the amount of what one would pay for a land. And so, what you, like I said, what generally would happen would then be like 400, 400 shekels. Are you insane? Like, come on, this is not worth 400 shekels. I'll give you five shekels of silver. And then the other guy would be like, five shekels of silver? Come on. Yeah, and you know the rest, right? So, until they all come to a... 
medium uh, happy place. Everything has moved out and, and they all walk out with what everyone knew they were going to pay, 50 shekels, right? But that's not what happened in this story. As soon as Abraham heard the price of the land, as he says, what's 400 shekels between you and I? As he's saying that, Abraham gets his sermon and he starts weighing out the 400 shekels in front of him. Like, like running for 400 shekels. And just, just to kind of give you a perspective, because 400 shekels, we're like, okay, what's 400 shekels? Let's convert this into Sydney prices where we're buying a property. Average 750000 for a house. Yeah? Give or take. That's what we pay here in Sydney. Ridiculous, right? Seven hundred and fifty. That's what we expect for a decent suburban house. Not, not. We're not talking somewhere out, you know, lavishly. Just, just basic, basic home where we can live and feel comfortable. Seven hundred fifty thousand. Seven hundred fifty thousand times that by eight. That's six million dollars. Six million dollars. So it's like Abraham is buying a property in Miller. Oh, no offense to anyone who lives in Villa, right? Or Minto, or you know, or like these these places where it's just like, and, and the guy's like, hey, let me buy this house from you. And he's like, oh, come on, man. Like, I, I don't want to sell it to you. Like, nah, just name your price. Name your price. Uh, look, it's worth $6 million. Like, you know, that's like, shut. Are you serious? It's $6 million for this house. Like, Jip Rock. Like, it's just basically Jip Rock. It's not even brick, right? Yeah, right? Like, it's just like, you know that this is not worth that much. And yet, despite that, Abraham is there. He's just like, 400, 400 shekels. And he counts it. He weighs it out there. 400 shekels. He asked for a high roller indeed, right? He's just like, 400 shekels. Like, there was no negotiation here. I mean, you could just imagine if we were to buy something like that. Like, the backhand that we would cop from my, like, our mothers, right? Like, what is... Six million dollars, like for a place in Milan? Are you serious? Like, what's wrong with you? But right, so all these people are just like, well, what the heck? He pays it. It's his now. You could just imagine the conversation that these people would have had after this. What the heck? He just paid six million dollars for this property. Everyone around him would have been like, well, well, no, man, like, let's give Abraham some slack. He's he's clearly he's going through a lot right now. Um, you know, uh, he's clearly just mourning, you know, but oh, maybe you know what it is. Maybe Abraham's not a fool. He knows what he's doing. Clearly, he has something for this land. W- what is he going to use this land for? Is he, is he going to, what is he doing? Does he know like there's a road coming in, an airport maybe? Right, there's no airports back then, but you know what I mean? Like, you know, something's <laughs> happening here. He's going to get his money back. Clearly, he's going to build some high rises here and he's going to get his investment back. What is, what is he building here? A, a, a graveyard. Okay. No, you're kidding me. Right? He's clearly building a. He's he's doing something else. He's building a mega church. They rake in those money, man. Like I know that they're gonna milk it with this. Yeah. No, no. What is he doing? He's he's going to bury his wife. He's he's building a graveyard here, not just for his wife and and his descendants. And the patriarchs would eventually come and from come back to this and be buried here. You could just imagine, just the people, uh, people would have said, just, doesn't he not know that the dead don't pay rent? Like, there's just no way that he's going to get a return. But Abraham, he, what is Abraham doing? 
two things I'm going to say just quickly and two suggestions here that may be coming through. The first thing is this, being a foreigner in this land uh, and, and having the local community as his audience, this exchange would have left without a doubt, would have been engraved in the minds of the Canaanites. It would have a doubt that that place, they would have known from that moment that this, in fact, this place belonged to Abraham. This was his place. There's just no way that people was going to be like, oh man, I don't know who this belongs to. Everyone's going to know that this place is Abraham. Why? Because he paid 400 shekels for this place. Everyone's going to know. People would know that this was Abraham. Down to the generations. How do I know? Because Moses is writing this. And Moses is still retelling this story to his generation. And I am retelling you this story. Everyone knows that that place, that's Abraham and his wife. That's his place. More to the point here is, the second thing I guess would be this, that Abraham was essentially just given down uh, a down payment to that promise. That was Canaan. That was his. He knew that was the promised land. 400 shekels. 400 shekels. In comparison, we know what it should be worth. It should be less than 50. He pays 400 shekels. Why would he pay 400 shekels? Because he knows that that land, not just that land, that burial site, the whole land is going to be his. That's like saying, look, I bought a house in Miller for $6 million. Why would you pay $6 million? Because I know the rest of New South Wales is going to be mine. So in... in in retrospect, right, so $6 million for a whole state, it's actually pretty cheap. Yeah, it's actually pretty cheap. So you see here the faith here that he has. Something that is amazing and, and uh, that we even reflected upon when we opened in, in the Proverbs. If, if you recall, and this really stood out when I was reading it in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Where it says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. And we read that this evening when we opened up. We truly see that, eh? Like in the life of Abraham, he's just confessing. He knows. He trusts in God. How much so? Because he knows that even the money that he's weighing out, those 400 shekels, those 400 shekels didn't even belong to Abraham. I think that's the place that we need to come to when it comes to our faith. That realization that everything that we have, everything, it's given to us. It's not ours. He trusted that God was going to give that land. So much so that he gives $6 million for Miller. <laughs> and he's gonna, not even going to build a house. He's going to just bury. He's just going to go there and die. That's what he Six million, you know, for a shabby place. We see that he has that faith. So much so that every step that he took, everything that he did was driven by that promise. Like even that action, that to give something away so much for something that is worthless, he trusted in God so much so that all those actions led towards trusting in God. And just as a side note, maybe we can make this a little bit more personal. You know, maybe for women, if they're, they're listening, um, find yourself a man who's willing to trust in the Lord in this way. You know, so much so that 
it never once bothers your husband to pay six million dollars for for your graveyard, right? When husbands say amen, you know, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord that He's the one that's going to provide for you, that everything that you have, He will give to you, you know, that one day maybe you will have your yourself a wife that will call you my Lord. <laughs> and you will be willing to pay six million dollars for her graveyard. Like that's how precious she is to you. <laughs> um, so we, we see that, 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 that all the things that we do, all the steps that we take, we take it in light of the promise that we've received. We are willing to give whatever because whatever we have, we've received anyways. So easy. It becomes so much easier to give that way when you realize that what you have is not yours to begin with. And what is truly yours is what awaits for you down at the end. Makes things easier on the on the now and the he to be selfless and giving. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you, O oh God, for your message, for your word, um, for what many would call insanity in this uh, in this example of Abraham giving four hundred shekels of silver for this land. Lord, we see it as faith. We see it as trust. We see it as him placing uh, his faith in you, Lord. Trusting that you would provide. That the rest of that land would be his anyways. So what is 400 shekels between them two? It was nothing. Lord, I pray that we may come to that place, Lord God. Where whatever it is, Lord God, that, that you have called us to do, Lord God. That the sacrifices, Lord God, to, that you may call us to give up, Lord God. The things that you tell us to let go of, Lord God, would become so easy, Lord God. But that only happens when we realize, Lord, how precious it is, that which you have actually given us, that which is actually ours, the promise. That is actually ours. All these things that are lying here in this earth are not ours. And that's why we can let go of them a lot easier. Because we're trusting that what we cannot see, Lord God, is wonderful and we will receive it because you have promised it, O oh God. Father, help us to walk as Abraham did, Lord God, in that faith, Lord God. Seeing beyond this earthly realm, Lord God, and seeing the true treasure, Lord God, that lies ahead of us and that is you, O oh God. It's not a place, it's not a, a substance, it's not some material, it's not nothing, it's you, O oh God. That is our treasure. And Lord, may we live in pursuit of that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.